0: The Next Scene, taking on pop culture one scene at a time. Scrooge by the Ghost Now, Home Alone for the Holidays Later. Next Scene Pod on social media and nextscenepod.com on the web. Welcome to Scrooge by the Ghost, the podcast where we haunt the 1988 holiday classic Scrooged one horrifying specter at a time. I'm your host, Sean German. And joining us tonight are special guests from the uh, Return to Oz Minute, Never Ending Minute, and the upcoming MASH Minute podcast. It's Tierney. Hello. And also, <laughs> and also with us from uh, the Michael, Michael Myers Minute, the Dave Made a Minute uh, project the Groundhog Day Project blog, and the upcoming The Room Minute, it's Robert Black. Hello. Welcome, Tierney. Welcome, Robert.
1: Hey, guys.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for for joining us for what I'm sure will be a a wonderful night with a wonderful spirit of Christmas. But uh, I must say, uh, a note to the listener, Pete Mummert will not be joining us tonight. But we do have that recorded holiday greeting message uh, that we'll be playing a little bit later in the show. Uh, but for the folks that are, that are with us uh, this evening, uh, a, a quick summary of this section of the film. Uh, having overseen the destruct- destruction of the Scrooge set, Frank Cross has gone out to lunch with his boss, Preston Rhinelander. Uh, and this is where Frank is formally introduced to Bryce. Frank starts to hallucinate at the stroke of noon, anticipating the first spirit the ghost of Hayward warned him about panicked, he rushes out of the restaurant and into the taxi of the ghost of Christmas past, who takes Frankie back to his childhood home in 1955, then to the office as a young worker in 1968, we get a stop in 1969 for a scene of domestic bliss, and trouble is brewing in paradise in 1971, before we return to the present and the set of Scrooged. So, so we'll start this episode the way we're starting out every night, and that is to uh, Tierney and Robert, what's your experience with this film? I shouldn't say both your names. I'll start with Tierney. Um, what's what's your history with Scrooge? When did you see it? Do you like it? Do you love it? Is it the great or or just the greatest?
1: Oh, I wish I had a better origin story for it. Uh, this movie came out when I was four, so I... Mm-hmm did not see it in theaters (laughs) I don't remember when I first saw it I'm sure it was my grandmother showed it to me she was a movie junkie as well Mm -hmm. and also had no concept of the fact that some movies weren't appropriate for children so I probably (laughs) did see it pretty young and trying to think I know by high school it was in the rotation of just like yeah that version of A Christmas Carol with Bill Murray Murray is fantastic at Christmases, apparently. Like, that's the conclusion I came to rewatching this movie is I think he peaks at Christmas. Okay. <laughs> a very Merry Christmas makes me very happy. Um, this movie is one that I rewatched a bunch of times because Carol Kane's in it, Phil Murray's in it, all these famous people that they love, and Karen Allen, who is there should be a constellation of her in the sky. <laughs> uh I will give the edge to Mickey's Christmas Carol for my favorite version of the Dickens story, but of the live actions this is very highly ranked in my mind.
0: Okay, of the live actions. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> and uh so so Robert, have you seen this movie before? Yes. Uh, Even though I
2: grew up without Christmas, for some reason, we saw this movie in the theater (laughs) when it came out, even though we didn't even celebrate Christmas. And so I was – this came out in 88, so I was 12. Mm -hmm. And then I don't think I watched it much for several years because I still didn't celebrate Christmas until I was an adult. And then since then, it's been like a regular rotation every December. And I wrote about it in Groundhog Day Project because Bill Murray and It's still one of only a handful of Christmas movies I've seen all the way through, and probably my favorite. It has some (laughs) volume and direction issues, but (laughs) overall, I like it. Bill Murray's great with all the sarcasm and the anger, and his whole tone works for me.
0: Yeah, so this this is Bill Murray really working out. Um, As as we've mentioned before, this is really his first film back he had, he had taken a break for a few years um, and other than his cameo in Little Shop of Horrors wasn't really acting and then came back this was sort of his first full part and and something I don't think we have mentioned previously is that this is really his first solo leading role obviously he was one of the leads in Ghostbuster, which uh, Ghostbusters which came out a few years before but that's kind of an ensemble piece there's you know um, there's the the three Ghostbusters, and then the four that the the fourth joins the the gang later. So this is, and then you know he's great in things like Stripes. Again, there's a there's a handful. leads, Harold, Harold Ramis and John Candy, in that and that, and a few others. And then um, you know things like Caddyshack, where he really stole the show, is sort of a um, you know almost a, a not quite a cameo, but not much more than that. Um, the groundskeeper, Carl, just kind of on the side. So this is really hmm. the first film where he's the lead.
1: What year was Meatballs?
0: Maybe the first since Meatballs. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> Meatballs, which is actually, I Me- think, his, 79. his first oh, full-length film.
1: That's a lot earlier than I thought it was.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's his very first film uh, appearance in Meatballs, and he's, yeah, the lead in that. But I think since Meatballs this would be his first time, not part of an ensemble or a group that's, that's leading or a, a team. Um, so, yeah. And he really, uh, he owns it. He, he, yeah. he, he kind of took control of these. Um, he had a lot of feedback on the script and, and on top of that did a lot of ad-libbing as well. <laughs> so um, if, if, and, and yes, yeah, so that's kind of my, my history as well. I'm, I was a little bit older than, than you folks were um, when it came out, but, and I'm, Probably still a little bit older than you, but uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think I.
1: No, I, I caught up. I caught up. <laughs> I've always been a little slow,
0: but so I, I don't think I saw this in the theater. But I would have watched this. Uh, also, someone who did not grow up uh, celebrating Christmas as a as a regular tradition, but um, but Bill Murray movies certainly would have been uh, traditional in my household, <laughs> and we would have seen it um, in in that respect. And then. Um, since marrying into since marrying my wife and into her family where they do celebrate Christmas and they do watch Christmas movies every year, uh, this is this is the one. Well this is not the one. this is one of the ones that's in that regular rotation that we watch every year with um, I hate to have to disagree with a guest, but we watch the best adaptation of a Christmas Carol on film, which of course is the Muppets Christmas Carol.. Oh.
1: So. I always forget about that.
0: (laughs) No slight to Mickey. Mickey's great, but uh, give me, give me Kermie and Piggy every time.
1: (laughs) I always forget because we didn't have, I didn't have any of the Muppets movies on tape myself. Mm -hmm. And so I always forget about them because I would only watch them at friends' houses. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the only one here who waited up for Santa. Yes. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. All right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well so let's you know, let's get into uh the discussion of our actual scene. So
1: Okay, great. How the heck do you order yeah. a highball?
0: <laughs> That's an excellent starting point. So they just order the highball
1: So angry and Frank says it's not a drink.
0: This the same <laughs> and it's yeah. Well it's well it's like a style of drink, would you say that?
1: It's it's a it's a genre of drink. A genre of not- drink.
0: <laughs> So for, for folks that don't, aren't familiar, traditionally a highball is it's what club soda and alcohol in a tall, uh, you know, a tall, thinner glass to kind of save the carbonation um, in the States. We'll we'll have it on the rocks. We'll, we'll serve it over ice. Um, I hear in uh, in the UK that they forego the ice. But yeah, so it's it's alcohol and club soda. But you would have and, to specify. And I didn't
1: even realize it. Was club soda. Mm-hmm. I've heard other things like a gin and tonic can count as a highball, too. I mean, you'd call it a gin and tonic, but yeah. the, the idea is anything in that glass over ice with carbonation.
0: Is a highball. Is a
1: highball. And now, not to skip ahead, <laughs> they get different drinks. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's infuriating.
0: I had that well, same note. So I could I could understand wow. that. Well, so Ryan Rhinelander. Is obviously a regular at this place. Like the, the it is a private club. Right. It's yeah, okay. it's a it's a private club. The 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 waiter knows them both by name. The waiter knows that Ryan Lander brings his own cutlery, so he clears the table of, of forks or just clears Ryan Lander's play setting of forks and knives and so forth. So maybe he knows
3: mm-hmm.
0: what alcohol. Uh, you know, Rhinelander takes in his highball, but yeah, as you said, then the drinks arrive, and one is sort of a caramel, you know, a whiskey or a bourbon colored, and the other one is colorless.
2: I have another theory.
0: All right, he'll say Maybe it. at this
2: private club, on their menu, they have a drink called a highball and a drink called a highball two,
0: like numeral two, <laughs> the sequel. <laughs> So when, when Frank Frank doesn't say he wants a highball also, he wants a highball two. Yeah. The sequel. This time it's personal.
1: All right, so what's in the highball two? Are we talking gin or vodka here?
0: I'll go I'll say gin and tonic since you mentioned it. A highball two is is their version of the gin and tonic. Okay. Although I don't see doesn't isn't that traditionally with a twist of lime? I'm not a, a gin and tonic. <laughs> fan. Yeah, I don't think Frank Watt gets a garnish, lime. but maybe that's their twist.
1: I, I'm also a cheap college student so <laughs> <laughs> when I was drinking them. So I'm like, ah, I hardly ever had limes. And then I'm like, that's because I was, didn't have fresh fruit. <laughs> yeah,
3: you didn't have
0: fresh fruit because <laughs> you had scurvy.
1: Yeah, I was wondering why they start polishing their forks. But if he's just pulled out his... That makes a little bit more sense
0: yeah so yeah Ryan Lander's doing it because he just pulled this out of his he just pulled this out of his pocket and Frank is doing this because he's nervous and he is doing whatever the boss does
1: His face is so great this whole exchange
0: yeah, which is weird because I would think I, I would think that these men these gentlemen would have dined together before and they would have dined in this club before. Like, this doesn't seem like, oh, a special thing. I'm getting invited to lunch with the boss. But yet, and maybe this is just an extension of Frank being off his game because of the visit from uh, the ghost of Hayward last night. That he he's kind of acting surprised. That he's going to like. mess with your
3: day. Yeah.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do want to mention, I I believe we've talked to, we've seen Frank's boss, Mr. Rhinelander, Uh, Preston Rylander before, Um, but I don't think I I mentioned... Presto. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned uh, Robert Mitchum. Well, we we talked about Robert Mitchum, but I didn't say... There's a little bit... uh, Director Richard Donner uh, talked about how do you get a big star like Robert Mitchum to play this little part in this film? And they say this was all Murray, that Mm -hmm. they got Robert Mitchum, they invited him to lunch... And and Murray just charmed the pants off the guy, just to to, to get him to play. Because he's I mean this is old Hollywood um, where they generally didn't have great senses of humor. <laughs> um, and if you listen to, if you listen to Airport Minute and, and shout out to Airport Minute uh, at the very end, I think one of their last minutes or their very last minute, they ended up talking about Airplane a lot, which is a, a spoof on disaster movies, including. Um, Airport, and they got to talking about Robert Stack and, and some of these other um, old Hollywood dramatic actors that got roped into performing an airplane, and and they generally didn't get the joke. I mean, they did the work because they were professional, and hey, a job's a job. But uh, <laughs> generally, you know, these guys were not known for their sense of humor, um, and so yeah, Robert Mitchum may have not have seen the, um, not have been amused at at this sort of film and this comedic take on the traditional tale. But,, uh, yeah, but you know, Murray turns on the charm, and, and the, the word that, um, the word that Richard Donner uses is swooning. The minute you get around Bill, you're swooning. Everybody is. <laughs> uh, end quote there from from director Richard Donner. Um, and then oh, I also want to mention uh, our head waiter here, played by uh, Tony, Tony Steedman, Stedman, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but you may recognize him as Socrates. From Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
1: Oh! Or
0: at least I didn't. But
1: now that you say it, I can (laughs) absolutely see it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, And then, so then Frank is introduced to uh, the the younger.
1: First, we have to date the movie by mentioning the Berlin Wall and referring to it as the Zulu Nation (laughs) and invoking JP2 and. (laughs) Just to make sure that we know it's 1988.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And at least
1: he he also really confused me because he's like, "It's going to be the largest baptism," and I'm like, "What? That is not what you just said was happening." Yeah.
0: Yeah, So this this is um, yeah this is very dated, which kind of um, most at least in my experience, most live action versions of a Christmas Carol end up up, end up dating themselves (laughs) because they they add things. So this is all additional. Stuff that is added, so these are all original. Whenever you're watching a, a a movie version, and there's some interaction, there's something happening between spirits or between in not between the spirit, not amongst the spirits, but in the time between the visits from the spirits. Yeah. Um This is kind all original of works stuff. For yeah.
1: A Christmas movie. I feel like Christmas movies can date themselves mm-hmm. in a way that we it we don't give other movies that pass.
2: <laughs> what also involves that like time travel so it matters what year it is right now so we know how far back they
0: go how far forward right well and i i i have some issues with that but i'll hold on i'll hold on to to that that part till we till we get to it (laughs)
1: all right sorry sorry you were trying to introduce john glover and i jumped all over you
0: (laughs) oh yeah so we we got just a quick peek of bryce cummings kind of Darting in and out of an elevator, but now we get formally introduced as you know, kind of the younger, more attractive man that's coming in and and threatening, uh, threatening Frank's cross position. And and I think it's fair to say that at this point we can assume Frank is not someone who's comfortable uh, sharing the load, as it will that he you know he would see this as a threat. And then the the tension building, like the the direction for this sequence where it um you know so we get the voice over that oh the first spirit will come at noon and then we get close up it goes from uh from a pocket watch to a wall clock just to confirm that it's noon and then it's frank's eyes to frank's witch- wristwatch. so i'm not sure whose pocket watch that was we were looking at.
1: It's uh, is it Bryce's? it's braces, and I'm okay. Very confused on why it beeps.
0: Yeah, it. <laughs>
1: Somebody takes it out. That doesn't seem right.
0: It because it kind of beeps like a cell phone, or I don't know. Yeah. if cell phones were a thing even for high powered executives, but maybe a pager or a beeper. But then yeah, he checks his watch, which is it's an analog like face with hands pocket watch, but it beeps like an electronic device. Yeah. But then it goes Frank's eyes, Frank's wristwatch, wrist Frank's eyes, Bryce's mouth, Frank's eyes, Bryce's mouth, Frank's eyes, Bryce's mouth, <laughs> and I think it repeats that two or three more times: eyes, mouth, eyes, mouth, eyes, mouth, and then finally just "ha" from Frank Cross. But it's ratcheting up the tension with these close-ups of, uh, of you know Bryce's West Coast patter and and Frank's building anxiety and tension.
1: My note on Bryce Cummings is Has anyone ever looked so much like they had a lacrosse coach? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that with love as someone who was lacrosse captain their senior year. It's just everything about this guy. <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah. Well, he doesn't even. Oh, and I, I, I don't know if this is like a, a choice, if maybe just it is an East Coast or West Coast thing. But the way he says like that, that the cliche saying, there is no I in T-E-A-M. Because the way I've always, everywhere I've heard it, other than this movie, other than this man, is there's no I in team. Yeah, you don't spell it. Because you know what? I know how to spell team. <laughs> I know there's no I in it. You don't have to spell it out for me. And for some reason, that like really like, ugh. Kind of
1: ruins the <laughs> saying by doing the, I don't know. Yes. I'm very torn because on the one hand, he is obnoxious, but I like the way he orders Pellegrino rocks with a twist. I have a bunch <laughs> of friends who don't drink, and I'm like, this is what you got to start doing.
0: Because, <laughs> it, it, yeah, when you say like rocks with a twist, it sounds like an adult beverage, and it's really, mm-hmm. it's just bubbly water. Yeah. it's pe- Yeah, Pellegrino's.
1: Yeah, bu- very yeah. nice bubbly water. It's basically,
0: yeah. Basically, but rock, yeah, rocks with a twist makes it sound very adult, but he's yeah. basically ordering a glass of water.
1: I'm gonna start doing that.
0: Yeah, there you
1: go. <laughs> I there won't you. be ordering the California health plate, but <laughs> I can I can have some Pellegrino.
0: <laughs> yeah. So for for a bit, it seems like, or not seems like Frank. You know, Frank's unsure. He wonders is is Bryce the spirit that Hayward talked about? And then he asks he asks are you know are you he asks the uh, the waiter are you him. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and the way to correct him. Now, I I like this. One of the things I like as someone who who is not a devotee of Jesus Christ and did not grow up uh, celebrating the religious aspects of Christmas. Um, <laughs> I am not against gift giving um, in in general, but I also think in this particular tale, uh, in general, a Christmas Carol, and and this particular telling uh, in Scrooge the movie, that. There's 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 a message that doesn't need religion, I think. Right. And I think part of the message that that I get from this scene is that the people we encounter in our life can be the spirits. You know, that if if we need a change, the people in our life that we encounter, the real people, the flesh and blood people can be the the motivation and the inspiration for that change that we, you don't necessarily need a supernatural, supernatural intervention or, you know, a visit from the deceased.
1: Sometimes you can be watching a Bill Murray movie and realize you've never had a baked Alaska.
0: There you- <laughs> 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 yes, exactly. Inspiration can come from anywhere. And I think so that's a sign. And, and one of the things I've, I've, I've complained about A Christmas Carol is the turnaround at the end. I think it's too quick and it's too neat that suddenly Scrooge just is, is so good. Um, and, well, it, it, on the one hand, I will admit I'm, I haven't been entirely fair. It had been a very long time since I'd read uh, Charles Dickens, the you know, original story, in, in rereading and in preparing for this podcast. I see there are, there are some signs from Scrooge, uh, from Scrooge uh, during the various visits with the spirits. Um, that he does show some gradual change along the way, so it isn't as sudden as I as I used to think it was. But I do like I like the the, the additional scenes in this and um, the additional interactions we see, and that at that point we see Frank Frank is open. You know, he isn't he isn't quite good yet. He there is more character arc to go. There's more movie left. This is not going to be, you know. This is not a short. It's going to be a full-length feature, but at least it shows that the visit from his former, um, his former boss has awakened him. It's opened his eyes, and he's open to the possibility that he's asking these questions: "Are are you the spirit that Hayward spoke of? Are you he?" And uh, I mean, that's really the first step, right? Is just being open to the possibility of change. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's a no, big question, he, he, but
2: simply this here. scene
1: is great because he moves from assuming he's having a hallucination to this is something that's gonna happen,
0: yeah yeah and this is um I think this is something where they're they're faithful to the original in that 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 first encounter with with Marley in a Christmas carol with with Hayward here in Scrooge that that first encounter really does have effect on um on our protagonist, that he is open to, to the things that come after. Um, And so he's, yeah, he's, he's questioning what's, what's real and what's not. As we see Frank begin to hallucinate, he sees a, he sees an eyeball in his drink that no one else sees. And And it was at, at this point in my notes that I, that I noticed that the drinks are not the same. And it may just be a practical thing where, they were like, well, he yeah. Frank has to have a, have a clear liquid so that we can we can get a good look at the eyeball. That's what goes in a highball too. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: See, he didn't say highball. He said eyeball. Well, now, wouldn't that be a highball four?
1: We know all the details of this club now. Which I, I'm just gonna say. When he does leave, it says it's the A&M Club, and I couldn't find anything about that. Although I did learn a lot about the Texas A&M alumna group (laughs) in New York City, founded in 1969, one of the largest groups outside Texas. Um, (laughs) So I think this is our club now, and we can call it a highball, too, if we want. All right.
0: Yeah, for for the listeners that want to research filming locations and and (laughs) are interested to see if the A&M Club is a real thing. Uh, be prepared for your web searches to, yeah, re- return uh, information on, yeah, on clubs for alumna, uh, uh-huh, graduates uh-huh. of uh, Texas A&M, and also for s clubs in New York Yeah,
1: City. don't just put A-M club. You'll
0: find out uh, you'll get a lot of results on them. So, yeah, <laughs> make sure you specify the A because you'll get different kind of M's <laughs> in your results there. So Frank is seeing this this eyeball. And then he sees a waiter with his arm on fire, and the waiter is preparing the aforementioned baked Alaska. Which is actually, I, you know, I thought it was a baked Alaska. It's actually a variation. The strict baked, base, uh, strictly base, base, baked, I oh, don't know why that's giving me so much trouble. <laughs> uh, strictly a traditional baked Alaska is not done flambé, table side. This is a variation oh. called a bomba. Alaska, huh. at least that's what that at least according to Wikipedia, and with B-O-M-B-E. a bonus arm fire too. Yeah, B O M B E. Because
1: oh. I, I know um, the flambé is not integral to the preparation. You know, as long as it gets browned, it doesn't have to be on fire table side. But mm-hmm. I thought bomb was just that that round shape because I've had not baked Alaska, but ice cream bomb like instead of cake. Huh. Hmm. I may have to look that up some more. <laughs> yeah. Well, not that can... I will ever make any of these. I always <laughs> cut out the recipes, and I'm like, I bet I could do that with a cold metal bowl, and then I never do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had anything done flambe tableside in, in a restaurant?
2: Something count. <laughs> with cherries. I don't remember what it was called.
1: Um, but yeah, they put uh, it on fire. It's like mm-hmm. with brandy, right? Yeah. Isn't that what
2: um I don't remember what it was actually called.
0: But it was good. (laughs) That's what counts, yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever done flambé, either the the cherries and brandy or the the baked Alaska. I have been in places where they do, I've had Caesar salad, where they make the Caesar dressing Mm -hmm. from scratch table side. (laughs) I thought you put a a Caesar salad on
2: fire.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You do it wrong. Oh, Oh, can we give a shout out to Indiana Jones minute because in their most recent Weekend Edition, Pete mentioned um, making sushi, and Cherry just with like the most disdain in his voice was Pete. How do you cook sushi? What do you live by a river? And I laughed so hard I had to like stop my headphones, pause, like get a drink of water, relax. It was hilarious. Oh.
0: How do you cook
2: sushi? Fair question. (laughs) It is Cherry's Jubilee, by the way.
1: I'm so glad you looked that up. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, we're almost to a joke I don't get. I think I'm going to be showing my youth.
3: (laughs)
0: Okay. Is it the... Is it about broadcasting?
1: I know who Richard (laughs) Pryor is. I don't get the joke here.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Richard Pryor was a uh, really great great comedian and comedic actor really hit his heyday through the seventies and and eighties. He is no longer with us, but he had a bit of a drug problem. And, uh, one of his, uh, drug intake of choice was, I believe it was, I believe this is an incident when he was freebasing cocaine. So basically smoking cocaine and he lit himself on fire. (gasps) Oh yeah. So he went and then, so like he lit himself on fire Um, Smoking these drugs and went running down the street on fire. It was June 9th, 1980. He
2: was freebasing cocaine and drinking 151 proof rum. He was in a drug induced psychosis and poured rum over his body and set himself on fire.
1: Oh my God.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And then ran down the street. Yeah. So
1: By so the that's, way, that's not what killed him.
2: <laughs> no, no. He oh, he died nope. much later.
1: <laughs> See, I'm learning things, guys.
2: Watching that joke again more recently, I wondered what I thought of it when I saw the movie the first time, cuz I wouldn't have known that story about Richard Pryor. I'm like, is he throwing water on him cuz he's black? And I, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking.
1: I, that's I just stared at it and I watched it again and I was like, nope, still don't get it. <laughs>
0: So, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Richard Pryor and his uh, self-immolation
1: <laughs> incident,
0: his 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 incident, his adventures with fire, <laughs> um, that was actually covered on the show. It happened here, um, and that's a um, that's a, a a series, a cable series where they investigate stars and celebrities and go to uh, the actual locations of various uh, important moments and and highlights, well, highlights and lowlights. Of their lives, uh, and I, I mentioned that particularly because uh, one of the one of the producers and, and a gentleman that appears on screen every so often is Chris Epting, former guest of Spinal Tap Minute, uh, my uh, my 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 previous podcast with my wonderful co-host mm-hmm. Heidi Bennett, and you can find that at SpinalTapMinute.com. Um, so nice little plug there and yeah also check out it happened here and actually the, the very first episode is their Richard Pryor episode and uh, and I, I and Chris Epting actually he doesn't run but he walks down the same street <laughs> where Richard Pryor ran after lighting himself on fire so you can you can see you can see where it happened and isn't that exciting
2: It is It's so far <laughs> from here
0: <laughs> But yeah so I guess yeah if, for for the younger folks. That might be a joke that you might not get. Yeah.
1: Just right over. Luckily, yeah. right after that, Bill Murray does a pratfall.
0: He doesn't, though.
2: It's not a pratfall. He fell. It's an actual fall. The, he got the floor <laughs> wet and he fell. Which is even better that he recovers so well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. This is actually. I guess I assume. I guess the floor being wet from the bucket of ice that water. he just emptied yeah. out, or, yeah. or water that he just emptied out onto this waiter. This is yeah an actual fall, and yeah, Bill, uh, you know, still gets he- right up, straightens himself, and keeps going.
2: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: So good. And then uh, exit the the A and M Club, the private club, and gets Which is into actually
2: the Atlantic Grill. By the way, oh, at Forty Nine mm-hmm. West Sixty Fourth Street.
0: I obsess about locations. That's why the show you were just talking about, I'm like, I got to check that out. (laughs) I'm surprised. Yeah. And and knowing, knowing the way you, uh, you are obsessed about locations that you wouldn't have already heard of it. So yeah, check it out. It's called it. It happened here. Although it's mainly, it it deals with like the real life locations. Um, not, not as much filming locations, but still it's yeah. Locations. Oh, so anyway, so back to the movie. So Frank, (laughs) uh, Frank exits the club, or yeah, exits the restaurant into the waiting taxi of our uh, our ghost of Christmas past. And uh, what we have here is a 1978 checker taxi cab. It says Bell Cabco on the door, and it, it whisks our Frank Cross away into the past. I love that he arrives in reverse, too.
1: Yeah. yeah. I just love, anytime I see one of these old checkered cabs, I think of a commercial, and I'm so glad you had me on for this section because it got me to finally look up what it was for, when it was, and it's a 1986, according to the internet, commercial Mm -hmm. for Bubble Yum Checker Mint Gum. (laughs) And my mom, being a genius, when VCRs came out, got a blank tape and just taped a random Saturday morning of cartoons so that then, when I was a pain-in-the-butt little kid, she could just put on that tape and have Saturday morning <laughs> cartoons whenever we wanted. The problem being, we were still watching that tape on the regular in the late 90s. <laughs> and so we knew all the commercials. And well, my yeah. sister and I will still sing Milk It Does a Body Good at each other to get it stuck in each other's heads. <laughs> and Checkermint Gum was one of them. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Now, I remember, I remember Bubble Yum, yeah. but I don't remember the Checkermint. But then I also wasn't watching the same commercials on tape for Yeah, it might
1: have decades. lasted yeah. a week. Yeah. She
0: just saw it over and over.
1: <laughs> it is fabulously of its time. So I'll send you the link to it. It's <laughs>
0: pretty oh, please do.
1: insane it's all it was also very weird to try and research not remembering the name of the gum just that a checkered cab was somehow involved checkered
0: cab bubble gum i could see bubble gum. yeah
1: yeah lots of van shoes results you also can't <laughs> bully and search google even if you try and like break it and force it to do that um, but yeah, I always think of that with these cabs. And then I got really excited because it has a little wreath on the front of the car at this time of year. I just love that. But it also has one on the back, which I've never seen before.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the the restaurant it's it's all decorated. We even see when we get a we get a close up of uh, the fare meter when it starts winding backwards to dial back the years. And it's it looks like cut sticker. Like I don't. Know, I I first thought it was like cutouts from wrapping paper. Maybe, but it's like scenes of Santa on a sled and Santa handing.
1: I like out. that
2: he also has a tiny nativity scene inside the back window, <laughs> but it's so small. <laughs>
1: you no, know, before we go back to the past, when uh, Frank gets in, he tells them to cut through the park before he is revealed to be the ghost, and uh, that's just other '90s New York City movies. Shout out to the original Arthur. Yes. You know how I love the park. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And then there were, but I'm loving this moment. I thought David Johansson had been in a lot more than he has been, according to his IMDb page. I don't know if that's just me or just when I grew up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So this is, um, this is kind of a weird thing. I mean, I guess he had been, he had done a few things acting wise prior to this point, but for folks There'll be different generations that'll know David Johansson for different things. Like, there'll be people that'll know him um, from Scrooge. There will be people that will know him as Buster Poindexter from uh, Buster Poindexter and his Banshee of Blue. Uh, There'll be folks that will know him from the New York Dolls. Yeah, I mean, this guy was, at least had the image of, like, one of the really far out there crazy punk rocker types. Now, he was not... A, a Gigi Allen cutting himself up, defecating on stage, crazy punk. but this was a band of gentlemen who would appear on stage in women's clothing in you know in the 60s when that thing was not you know that type of thing was not generally done. And um, we we're generally clean on on the program, but I'm gonna uh, say a word that that some folks may may not like. so I guess I don't know fast forward. If you're afraid of, of harsh language or you're listening with the kids, but here it goes, gender fuck. And what that is, so they he, they they were not transgendered or cross-dressing or drag queens. They weren't trying to look like women. They looked like men in women's clothing. They'd have like, you know, sideburns and manly hair and mustaches and everything else with the fishnet and the dresses and so forth. So this was you know, kind of pushing, really pushing the edge. Sort of stuff with the New York Dolls, then becoming with Buster Poindexter becoming a, kind of a dance man. I'm not sure how I would describe.
1: Yeah. Oh, I found my favorite <laughs> phrase: pre haze Code rock and roll.
0: <laughs> pre haze Code rock and roll. Yes, yeah. That's how someone described
1: it on uh, probably the Wikipedia page.
0: <laughs> but then, as you know, as David Johansson, you know, not not Buster Poindexter, but as David Johansson becoming. um doing a lot of family fair. Um, he was
1: on Adventures of Pete and Pete. That's the first place I ever saw
0: him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was he was in um like the the Car 54 Where Are You? movie from the 80s and you know, and stuff like that became really kind of mainstream, which I guess if you're, you know, if you're an old punk and you you live long enough, you last long enough, mm-hmm. you kind of come around and um
1: I gotta rewatch Two Hundred Cigarettes. Apparently, he was a bartender in that.
0: That's mm. why you have to rewatch it.
1: Well, well <laughs> because I was surprised that I didn't immediately remember okay. his character.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they appear if you watch the HBO series Vinyl, mm. uh, which was canceled, which only lasts yeah. one season. And if you haven't seen it, it's probably worth checking out. It's kind of if you're if you're interested in sort of early 70s New York City rock and roll dive bar culture. I, I thought it was interesting. Um, it's
1: well done. I think they got a little ahead of themselves.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, they yeah.
1: I don't think they realized what they were trying to do until too far into it.
0: Uh, yeah. I think that's that's fair enough. But there are scenes and it's it's mm-hmm. obviously – this is – I mean, this was a year or two ago that it came out. So it's going back – over forty years. So David Johansson isn't appearing. He's not playing himself, but there is scenes there are scenes of the New York dolls uh performing on stage and kind of just being in that in that time and place. Um yeah, it was kinda of a shame just to, to um, digress for a moment. I was disappointed one of the main things I was disappointed with that series that when it got canceled that it didn't get a second series is that I realized like they don't have disco. Mm. Like, literally, this is a time before disco happens, but it's just about to happen. Like, it's just about Mm. to break. I think within, what was it? Is it Don't Rock the Boat? I'm trying to remember that, like, the first disco hit, the first disco song that really became popular and hit the charts. Mm. I think it was Don't Rock the Boat, but it's, it hits like, six months after the the, the season one ends. So like the entire culture, the music scene, and they address it a little bit. They kind of like, the guy's like a mainstream rock and roll uh, record producer. And that's why the the show's called Vinyl. And like he, you know, the the guys in the mailroom kind of bring him to some underground club and to be like, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what the kids are, you know, listening to these days. Rock and roll is kind of over. So you can see it's like kind of coming up. But Like within
1: and like the birth of rap and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's like
1: that everything's changing around him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's so much music history that is about to change and explode. Like the just the entire music business and cultures is just about to change. And then season one ends like four months or six months before all that breaks, where you have you know disco goes mainstream, and then a couple years after that, then yeah, you've got. You know, hip hop has been coming up in in kind of isolated pockets in New York City and there's some little bit in LA on the West Coast, but then you know, kind of really explodes and it moves out to the suburbs like all this fun stuff from a musical history point of view is about to happen. And then yeah, they, they, they cancel. They get yeah. canceled. Um But yeah, I thought it was it was interesting. Again, if if you're interested in, you know, kind of rock and roll history or music history or just the, the culture of um, early 70s New York that they go to yeah. um, I mean I, I don't think I don't know if it was filmed oh. any of it on location and I don't think most of those locations don't uh, don't exist, but they yeah. address real places and and real events and some you know some wacky things that really happen and some of the wacky bands. Yeah. Well the
1: problem is then HBO threw all their money to Deuce. Deuce kind of inherited vinyls streets, yeah, <laughs> and budget. Yeah. But with more famous people. And quite frankly, I think not. Well, that's hard to say because the people in it are really good. I just have zero interest in that world. Mm-hmm. Whereas vinyl, I was fascinated by the world and loved. I wanted Olivia Wilde's character to do. Them. But anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, good. So I'm not the only it, one that, that misses vinyl.
1: Yes. Yes. I I liked it. And I almost bought it for... My dad, uh, when it came out, that I was like, that feels a little weird to do to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't interested in that at all. To bring it back through the music and specials, uh, I can't remember if it was HBO or not. David Johansson and Bill Murray reunited. He's in a very Murray Christmas. He
3: is. Oh, okay. At
1: Bellman's, or Bem- oh. you know what I mean, at the bar.
0: <laughs> yes. Before we get... I actually haven't seen A Very Merry Christmas.
1: It is a treat. It's funny because we watched it up here when it first came out. And then when we went to my parents' house, we always watch crazy Christmas specials. And so (laughs) we added A Very Merry Christmas to the rotation. And everyone was talking about it that year and oh my goodness and all this stuff. And then the next year I was like, but we're going to watch that again, right? Like that's just part of our normal Christmas... Like what we select from. <laughs> yeah. There's so many that we can't watch them all every year. But that went into the pot.
0: <laughs> I'll have to see if I can slip that into uh to to the rotation. Yeah. I I noticed that um because they're they share writers. So the the we haven't talked about this previously on the show, but the um the, the writing credits for Scrooged obviously uh some credit goes to Charles Dickens for the original novel. <laughs> but but the uh, So the writers are Mitch yeah. Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, and they're both Saturday Night Live alums. So they would be familiar. They would have worked with Bill Murray in his Saturday Night Live days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Michael O'Donohue, if you look on IMDb, his writing credits are like 90% Saturday Night Live. It's Saturday Night Live and then like the 15th anniversary show or best of shows or highlight shows uh, of various things. And uh, Mitch Glazer also does not have an extensive writing resume, but it includes Saturday Night Live, uh, Scrooged, obviously, and then A Very Murray Christmas from uh, from 2015. So uh, I'll have to check that out.
1: It moves slowly, but it's it's a musical review. Like it's it's just nice. Right. So it's not... Feels right for Christmas. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. So it's not a... It's not like a... It, there isn't like a story. It's not like a fictional show. It's like a there's variety a, sort of thing.
1: There's a story that holds together the different musical numbers.
0: Okay. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. And and therein, David Johansson plays the bartender. Yes. Hmm. Well, it, And it's got my pal, Paul Schaefer, so it's got to be good. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> playing Paul Schaefer yeah so' I'll have to see <laughs> if we can hunt that Paul down Schaefer. I hunt that down I'm, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere yeah. we can download it
1: that's yeah. actually uh he he did Gilda La- Paul Schaefer is everywhere but um when I, when we were talking about how great Bill Murray is I'm gonna do this to you every time I guest on one of your shows because Bill Murray's always involved gotta bring <laughs> up like some love for Gilda Radner and that for years there we didn't watch Bill Murray movies because it's like no, he hurt her feelings. It's like, okay, well, there was blame on both sides in that relationship.
0: No, I I, I hadn't heard. I'm not familiar with that tale. What did Bill do to Gilda?
1: They dated I don't
0: know if I know. But
1: off and on for many, many years. And it just, it, it. all right. So from what I can understand, they would date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, fight, break up, fight. Mmm, do things. Um, It was just not a healthy relationship (laughs) on either side.
2: I'm not sure Bill Murray had any healthy relationships.
1: This is also when they are at the height of SNL exploding and New York City and people following them and drugs everywhere. And it was just not, it just didn't work out.
0: It was a crazy time.
1: It just didn't work out. They just weren't right together, but... They really loved each other, so they kept trying to make it work and making each other miserable. <laughs> um, and then his brother got to, it was a, a you know, a whole drama there. But um, yeah, yeah, Gilda Radner was the end all be all in my house growing up. All
0: right. Now see, when I think of Gilda, um, in addition to a, a wonderful performer and comedic actress. I think of the person responsible for the fallout between Paul Schaefer and John Belushi. Uh, so uh, Paul Schaefer, obviously, as as you all know, the band leader for Saturday Night Live, and originally part of the Blues Brothers Band. And Paul Schaefer was supposed to go on tour with the Blues Brothers and eventually be in the movie, but he had already committed to—Gilda uh, had a a one-woman show on Broadway.
1: Gilda Live.
0: yeah. So Paul had committed to Guild Alive, and so could not do the Blues Brothers movies.
1: She caused a lot of drama with the SNL band because she was married to uh, G.E. Uh, what's his last name? Smith.
0: G.E. Smith.
1: Smith. Um, yeah, she met Gene Wilder while she was still married to him. Ooh, yeah,
0: what a troublemaker.
1: It was. It was one of those whoopsies, Met the love of my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that. Uh, that happens sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess. And, uh, uh,
3: well,
0: I, I won't blame her for that. One, because I am not a G.E. Smith fan, but also because her and Jean were just so good together. Who yeah. could stand in the way of that?
1: <laughs> um, um, I can bring it back to music in this movie. Danny Elfman's score <laughs> is yes, excellent. Because we get the like theme for a sad man. <laughs> right before they go back into the past. um, What is
0: that guy's name? What is that character's name that he steals the bottle from? Oh, uh, Louder Milk,
3: Elliot
1: Milk. Thank you.
3: <laughs> who?
0: Once again, this, this guy just got fired two days before Christmas, or I think three days before Christmas is when he actually gets fired. He's trying to, you know, he's just trying to drown his sorrows and he's just com- continually thwarted by taxi, by the Frank Cross taxis. First, it's a... <laughs> You know, it, it's a puddle. It's splash from a puddle that causes his brown paper bag to break or weaken, and the bottle to fall through. And here, it's just the straight up the the cab driver just snatching the bottle out of his hands. The poor guy just wants to get his drink on, <laughs> and he just can't get away from. Uh, yeah, poor uh, poor Elliot louder milk. Um, so uh, so this crazy taxi driver, and as someone who's. Uh, not from New York City, but been there a time or two and taken a taken a taken a I've, I've taken a taxi drive or two that this is entirely accurate. What, <laughs> a, what a what a typical ride in New York. Uh, other than the time travel, everything yeah. else about this trip is entirely um, is entirely <laughs> accurate, except they don't let you smoke in the cabs anymore. Um, that's that's not current. <laughs> um, but
1: in 88 probably. But in
0: 88. Yeah, you know. It was you know the the, the wild eighties. We didn't know any better.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so the the as the as the cab enters the fog, we see the meter count backwards, um, count the years backwards. Oh, and I also want to I mention so the taxicab license, the operator's license. So when when Frank realizes that this is not your ordinary. Taxicab drive, and he looks down, and the taxicab operator's license is actually in the name of Ghost of Christmas Past, yeah, with the with the picture. And I am just like, I, um, you know, if you wondered, like, is this, you know, Ghost of Christmas Past? Is it his name? Is it is it a job title? Is it a is it hereditary thing? Is it like a you know, like a a, a dukeship or a knighthood or whatever? Apparently, it's it's name and occupation. Cause it's printed on his ID. Ghost of Christmas, Past. and he's been doing it a while. Cause he mentions the tell of the home later. So but yeah, so we see the years going backwards from from 1988. So this is the the movie is set current to its release year, and we go all the way back to 1955. And and one of the things, one of the little details that I hadn't noticed before I was watching this movie, one ghost at a time, is the the car parked outside of Frank's childhood home. It says Cross Meats, oh.
3: uh,
0: which is entirely consistent with his father being a, being a butcher. He's
1: already Sorry, I was trying to figure out what borough this is supposed to be.
0: What it's supposed
1: to Cause be? Because he yells at someone to go back to Jersey, so I'm assuming.
2: What it is is
0: Woodside. Okay. I don't know what it's supposed to be.
1: I mean, Woodside works. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I would I would guess Queen Queens or Brooklyn. It's obviously not Manhattan. I don't think any place. Well, maybe um,
1: my guess was Staten Island, but that's only because the houses. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a possibility.
3: Yeah. And we noticed the
0: the cross household is the only one on the block that doesn't have Christmas lights out. (laughs) Every other house is lit up. This one is not. The street basically
2: looks the same in the present, by the way. hmm If you look at it on Google Earth, 5828 but, but, still looks like the same But house.
1: Frank said they tore it down.
0: <laughs> well, it's an artistic license. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: I, I appreciate this movie because they very quickly establish their rules of time travel. hmm I always like in movies or books where we get, all right, here are the rules. They can't hear us. They can't, you know, we don't need to worry about erasing your future-
2: yeah, because he's not interacting.
1: Well, here's who can walk through walls. Here's who can't. It's all <laughs> yeah. very clear right away.
2: Although they both go through the milk truck.
0: Yeah, I, I was about to say I noted that. Like, so they, they, yeah. So in in some way, yeah, I guess maybe because he's inside the, the ghost taxi the cab. He's in the the ghost yeah. cab, so they pass through the milk truck, but just Frank on his own cannot pass through the door. See, it's all it's all very scientific.
2: It's like Terminator. <laughs> As long as he's inside the ghost, he can be a ghost too.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. Right. So we get. Yeah, we get little Frankie watching Aww. watching Howdy Doody while mom well, is. I have notes before Howdy Doody. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it kind of flips <laughs> through. There's... All right. So there's a bit of Lone Ranger. There's some other things. Um, what did what did you notice, Robert? Uh, first he's watching Captain Midnight,
2: mm-hmm. which did have a new episode on Christmas Eve, 1955, called The Jungle Pit. Which, if you must know, is about Captain Midnight and Icky saving a helping a young Japanese boy find his missing father who still thinks World War II is going on.
3: Oh. Cool. Okay.
2: That's and then, dark for. Customers. Yeah. The Lone Ranger did not have a new episode. Their season had ended in September, but could have been on because they did have reruns by '55. And, and in yeah. between,
1: we get a commercial for Ovaltine. For Ovaltine, yeah. <laughs> Which, am I the last person on Earth who was drinking Ovaltine for breakfast? <laughs>
2: I don't know if I drank it for breakfast, but I definitely drank it until they changed it in like the late 80s or early 90s. It was different.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's when we stopped. But yeah, amongst my friends, my generation, people look at me like I'm, you know, 100 years old when I say that. (laughs) Because I would bring when uh, the Christmas story exploded on our consciousness. Everyone was like, Ovaltine, I've never even heard of that. I'm like, every dang morning. (laughs) And I was supposed to like it because it's chocolatey, and it's like, yeah, but I'm congested, and you're giving me dairy first thing. This is not a good combination. <laughs> um, but yeah,
0: though probably good if you're if you're like calling in sick to work and you want to make sure you sound sick. You will kind of get get out the of going.
1: Get out of uh, second grade. Yeah, <laughs> it was really high on my list of priorities. All right. Um, but yeah,
2: then then it's howdy duty time. <laughs> then it's howdy duty time, and of course, which by the way means it's five thirty p.m. because that's when the show was on in nineteen fifty
0: five. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, that's an entirely consistent thanks to. Uh, well, I guess it's standard time, but thanks to changing the clocks, it yeah it would be, yeah, dark, it would be dark by by five yeah. thirty. Yeah. In December, yeah. I was just getting home from work, so it makes
2: sense. Yeah,
1: yeah that works. <gasps> I wonder if it is just me. I know that Earl Cross is played by Brian Doyle Murray. Mm-hmm. He, When he first comes in, he's still got his hat and he's in the doorway. Doesn't he kind of look like Belushi?
0: Yes. With the hat yes. and kind of the way the cigarette, you know, I'd, I'd never the seen way. it before. Just kind of the way he's ambling oh. side to side.
1: I feel the, so much less crazy.
0: <laughs> the cigarette hanging out. If mm-hmm. it was just the silhouette, you'd be like, okay, yeah. Wow. I had never noticed that before. But now that you mention it, yeah, I, I, I see it instantly. He moves in a very Belushi way.
3: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is um, Father Earl, like you said. This is, uh, this is the third. Well, I think it's the second Murray brother that we see. Uh, there will be a third Murray brother that we'll see later. But this is the second of Bill's brothers who, um, uh, who appears in the film. And Mother Doris is played by Lisa Mende. I assume that's how it's pronounced, M E N D E, and uh, you, of course, will know her as the casting director from Hollywood Shuffle. <laughs> uh, she was also in Gremlins Two. Shout out to Mogwai oh, thank minute.
1: God. <laughs> I was like, that is not the note I had. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: no, not, not Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, she was also Carol on five episodes on of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I assume
2: mean, I assume, uh, I have I assume a that's weird the t- note for you. Oh her. please, yeah, I love your no, notes. From the you just said that Brian Doyle Murray looked like Belushi. From the back, you know who she looked like? I was also a guest on your uh Planes, Trains, and Automobiles show, right? Yes. The actress I mistook, the I forget the characters, the throats, phlegm I forget the guy's name. The guy that picks him up in the truck. His wife, the actress I thought that was, I thought this was her again. Apparently I see her everywhere. <laughs>
0: So if you, you, thought, ever it from, you. From you thought it was the actress from from Men in Black who wears, you know, talks about her son was, wearing an Eiger suit, yeah. So if you ever do a Men in Black show, I have to be
2: on it because then I can actually see
0: her. <laughs> then you can say the oh, woman definitely. that the, the woman that I that the woman that I think is that actress will actually be that actress. Uh-huh. Finally, in Men in
1: Black. Finally, at last. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she what? yeah, they she yeah. does look like um, I don't know her name. That other actress, she does look like her. Siobhan something. Yeah. Yeah. But when and I saw I, it, I'm yeah. like, oh no, it's her again. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It's not her again. That's, yeah, that's it's not, not her again. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. I took the note to uh Brian Todd, who plays young Frankie, mm-hmm. was young Lancelot in First Night.
0: Oh.
2: My I note not on him is that. he's the dead kid from Last Action Hero. Yeah. But I'm older.
1: <laughs> and also probably yeah. was watching First Night for different reasons than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's good at playing young versions of people. Yeah. And he's four, which I was kind of confused about. Because when I first saw him, I thought he was older. And then he's like, I wanted a choo-choo train. I'm like, what age are you? And then they say he's four. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, choo-choo train. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, he, he looks older. It's he certainly sounds.
2: fifty-five. It's a more innocent time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Now, so this is the, the note that I referred to uh, earlier about, so he's four. And he says, I'm four. And his father you know, replies back, oh, excuses. I'm only four. <laughs> That's such a good line. That's the best lines of this movie.
1: You have to have the list of complaints leading up to him, though. My back hurts.
3: <laughs> I'm only My four years think, old. I'm only four.
0: four. Yeah. So we have confirmation, independent confirmation, that he is four years old in 1955 the next scene the actor was six, by the way. The, the next scene that the Ghost of Christmas Past takes us to is in 1968, and we can see by the the taxi meter mm-hmm. that's 13 years later. So I don't know if you 17. want to check my math on that. No, that's right. So he's yeah. what's he's now 17, and he's like, shouldn't he be in probably in high school or maybe college? But he's you know he's he's working in the mailroom of this TV station.
1: He's like I, 17. I, I, he didn't have money to go to college. His dad made him get a job right out of school. His dad made
0: him get and a job. And he's very smart, so he, he skipped a year. Right. But the, a year later, by 18, he's living with Karen Allen. Well, who wouldn't?
1: Well, I have issues with that later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, they mean, move way too fast, those yourself. crazy kids. But
1: <laughs> Also, he looks like he's 40 the entire well, time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess <laughs> they had to... Hair. Maybe that's maybe they had to go a little bit older. I mean, you said like I thought he looked, yeah, I thought he looked like 7 when he's actual 4. But yeah, by the time he's 17, yeah, he looks 40. <laughs> um I, sh- That's, I, shouldn't, that
1: seems problem.
0: I, I shouldn't laugh as someone whose who's hairline, not not quite as bad as Frank Cross, but as someone whose hairline uh, began receding uh, junior year in high school, I, I suppose I shouldn't make fun. But yeah, he's a very old 17 in 1968. <laughs> I guess I don't know if he had done a couple of tours in Vietnam by that point or, <laughs> you know, what had done to age this man so? In, in just his sh-
1: dad. <laughs>
0: his, yeah, yeah, his dad.
1: His dad <laughs> All that wore meat. him down.
0: <laughs> All that veal.
1: Well, so, uh, Frank talks about the worth of the veal and how what a thoughtful president (laughs) is. My thing more is, does this dad think he is helping his son? He's saying the things he's saying because he's cranky and tired himself. But does he think he is teaching his son about the real world and that this is a good thing?
2: Unfortunately, probably
1: Well, like, parents it, it, yeah. love to say, I'm telling you this for your own good because in the real world. Yeah.
2: That's when we get to say the worst things to our kids is when it's a lesson, you know?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> both these parents think they're, like, doing good.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, on the one hand, I could see, you know, this is your present. There's a roof over your head. There's food on the table. There's clothes on your back. Like, I'm supporting you. I'm your parent, and that's you know that's the present, and you know that's you know we we don't live a, a lavish lifestyle. Be happy. Our with
1: sofa's it. covered in plastic. Yeah,
0: so I, I kind of <laughs> understand that, but that he he drops the package of veal right in front of the kid,
1: just
0: like which he brought from his own work. Yeah, so he's basically just stealing from work. Basically, it's like if I just came home and, and, and gave my here's a, you know, here's a ream of paper and a box of paperclip <laughs> I took out of the supply closet at the office. Merry Christmas. Like I just,
1: I'm not reading off my notes made on a letterhead, no.
0: <laughs> but like, so like, even if you expect that this kid will be thankful for the basic necessities that his family is providing, it's... I mean, there's something to be said for presentation. It's like there's not even a bow. It's just yeah. the plain white butcher or paper. At least like hand it to him instead of dropping it on the floor. Yeah, with just the you know the the five and then five. the veal <laughs> Like put yeah, put a bow on it, wrap it, make it look nice. The poor kid wants a choo choo, or carve it into
1: a choo choo. Oh, now it is five pounds of veal. Worth 40 to $50 in 1988, but I've never had veal, so I don't know. Or I won't let myself 55. eat it because I've heard it's delicious and I don't want to eat it.
3: <laughs> Five pound
0: veal. It's Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where you can't go strictly by inflation because the means, the, the distribution and refrigeration cars and, and everything else that I, I don't think meat oh, has – has, you know I, I don't think the price curve for meat matches just general inflation because this would be and he doesn't I, you know he doesn't say what cut it is from the veal this might be twenty dollars a pound these days so this is a hundred dollars versus worth of veal and then wow. you know for night but for 1980 I assume 1988 prices Frank isn't talking about 1955 but he's saying that's 40 fifty dollars worth of veal so yeah veal might have been ten dollars a pound in
1: 88
0: um it'd probably be about 20 depending on the. i mean
1: that's code, good but. it should be expensive and we shouldn't have it but
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> in today's
2: prices or actually last week veal is wait is this per pound it's only six dollars per pound right now i think this is per pound this chart's really weird <laughs> Weirdly, an act, a chart of meat values from last week came up on Google. It's the first result, so I had to click.
1: <laughs> oh God, bless the internet!
0: <laughs> God bless the internet.
2: It's a confusing PDF though, because it has different graphs and values and.
0: Yeah, there's probably also different. Like, is it ground veal is
2: grouped with stew meat at four ninety nine to five ninety nine, and I think that's per pound.
0: Well, that's gr- I didn't think this was ground. I assumed this was like. You know, chops or tenderloin or something like that. Yeah, so so ground veal, yeah, would be six seven dollars a pound. I assumed it was like veal chops or something. You know, or something like that. Maybe a, um,
2: yeah. Yeah, the only veal on this chart is ground. Mm-hmm.
0: Odd. Yeah, I actually found a place, Mister oh, uh, nice. Brisket, that I think you can. I think they ship. I think you can order stuff online, and their uh, their veal chops are twenty two ninety five a pound. Uh, the rib roast is also twenty two ninety five. Now, strangely enough, their brisket is only eight ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Usually, a, a beef brisket's more expensive than that. I don't know if there's something about veal that makes, uh, you know, the brisket less desirable. Where's but, the brisket? Uh, yeah, from? and then their uh, their ground veal is six ninety nine a pound, and their Italian veal sausage is five ninety nine
2: oh, a pound. I figured it out. There's a whole section for veal. Rib chops are 1899, <laughs> leg cutlets 1399. So it depends on what he got, nice. yeah. This
0: has been Veal Minute. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, this has all been a big distraction so that we don't cry. Did yes. either of you guys Niagara Falls? Niagara
0: Falls. Not this this is a yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't think I've ever cried at this scene, but it gets a little misty. It is it is, you know. And you know, she she blows him a kiss, Frankie Boy.
1: All right, so you were you were saying my kid is cute and let me go check on him. I've never gotten misty before. I've always been too busy waiting for the next joke.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I blow my kid a kiss goodnight when I close the door on his room, and so this time it's oh. just like. Oh. Oh.
2: <laughs> my kids are older. All right, so, so anyway, is this where bad. the cable
1: guy got the idea? <laughs> Let's change the subject. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so then flash forward back in the cab and we head to...
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. No, No. we got to point out that they screwed up. (laughs) So he's talking about how he lived and he starts talking about TV shows. Uh
0: Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, First of all, I think he's the only person who ever watched The Courtship of Eddie's Father because that that was one that would always come up in old TV show, like, mentionings, and Mm -hmm. I never... But it never ran on Nick at Night or anything like that. Um... But yeah, the that's goof, one of those things where I – Go I was
0: just going to say, like, I recognize the name. Like, I know that was a television show. I've I've never seen it. I don't know who was on it. I know nothing Do about Bixby, it. Bill Bixby the Incredible Hulk was on it? No. I think
2: that's why I've seen it.
1: That and –
2: uh,
1: I was convinced for years that the many loves of Doobie Gillis was an urban myth made up by people <laughs> to fool those of us who weren't alive when television began. Because no one ever mentions it, and it's never seen. Um, but he references Little House on the Prairie, which was not running when Frank was a child.
2: But neither was Courtship of Eddie's father. Right. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Really? Since he aged to like 40 by the 60s.
1: Little House on the Prairie started in 74.
2: Courtship of Eddie's father started in
1: 69.
2: Uh, so... They're just shows he watched along the
0: way. Maybe he wrote those episodes. Yeah, but these are shows that he would have been watching after he was already out and working and everything. That somehow he had retroactively worked into his childhood.
2: Are you saying you don't talk about current TV shows in your life? Or movies? I plead the fifth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That happened after you were a kid. Yes, but I understand that they're separate
1: They're not my childhood memories.
0: (laughs) Right. They're works of fiction that I talk about. My bigger problem
2: is that he's not describing actual episodes of either show. Because I I got stuck looking at that on Google. Because that's what I do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, he references it as if saying like, oh, that's something that happened to me. He's like, no, it is. And it's something that happened on this TV show. Which, again, is the cable guy idea. Well,
0: all the the things that he mentioned... Like uh, you were not—they didn't seem like things you could easily mistake, <laughs> <laughs> or that you could easily specify either.
2: You, like, you I,
1: never I, ran through a field.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever. Run we're all a like field. fifteen with pigtails now. <laughs> it's very specific.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I'm we can get now that I've ruined it. We can get in the car.
2: <laughs> oh, I tried to ruin it more. I looked for those episodes to find, to watch them and talk about them, and I couldn't find them because they don't exist.
1: Well, there is a homecoming episode yeah, of Little House on the Prairie, but
2: it's season it, one. It's
1: yeah, and what he's describing, I think, happens in all of them.
2: Yeah, well, that's the opening credits. Them running through the field.
1: Yeah,
2: or end credits. I don't remember. See the beginning or end of the show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. He- <laughs> He can't even remember his fake childhood correctly. That's basically <laughs> what we're getting here.
1: That's what we're saying. That's, here. What, that's
0: what we're saying about this, this Frank Cross guy.
1: No,
0: that's what makes him fun.
1: <laughs> I thought I had found an anachronism in the hot dog cart out in front of the building in the 60s, but apparently they have been around forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that I believe. Yeah, I believe that. All right, so then pulling up into 1968, and there's a Christmas party happening all around, but with that great work ethic instilled in him by his father, Frank Cross is working.
1: Yeah, so I have Woolly Bully is playing mm-hmm. by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, which is just really fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I have that Frank's hair is a crime. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's a seventeen-year-old intern. He can't do his hair right. He's going bald (laughs) early.
1: That that's accurate. Oh, and also that I love Tina because she is so into what she—that's the woman who's xeroxing her butt.
3: Yeah, but then she's handing
1: them out, and she's like really happy to do so. This does not feel like crazy Mad Men objectification. She's like, this was her idea.
0: <laughs> she's forcing this on people that don't want it.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. yes. She's the predator here.
1: She's so much. She's adorable. I love her.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so Tina's played by Rebecca Arthur, who was in a, a bunch of different movies. But her main thing was uh, Mary Ann on Perfect Strangers.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, where she appeared in... Uh, 93 episodes I never watched that show so I don't know if that's a, probably close to the entire run I'm guessing although it's
2: on Hulu now I believe if you want to catch up yeah
0: but yeah so this is back in the days when Christmas parties were Christmas parties and the alcohol flowed and um,
1: men were men unless they were horses yes
0: <laughs> and I just I, I feel the need disclaimer for the listener. Do not sit on your office photocopier and make a copy of your butt, because there's a very good chance you will break the glass, and it will be very awkward explaining that to the emergency room physician who has to remove the glass from your buttocks. So, were photocopiers stronger than maybe?
1: No, you you <laughs> break you you put the weight on your wrists and you hold your weight off the glass, obviously.
2: But then you're not getting a good focus shot. It has to be right up against the glass for it
1: to. Well, it's still against the glass, but like you're not, because t- the plastic <laughs> frame is where you want the weight. Right.
0: Well, though she is pulling off the copies as they come out of the copier and handing them out, like she's her
1: this full is weight is on fiction. that glass. <laughs> also, she's much skinnier. Well, than or me. you <laughs> make
2: one copy and then just make more. You know, just do it once, make a hundred (laughs)
0: copies. Then you risk, there's less risk. Well, yes, you copy your butt once and then you make copies of the copies, which, yeah. Well, and I like, so the way they make Frank's hair look younger is it's just frizzier. Yeah. (laughs) But the hairline is the same. And there's, and and the, and I think the, the the obviously glued on sideburns that just, the texture, like, it just doesn't match. Like, and I know, like, face whiskers are different than head hair, but the the blend isn't there, I don't think.
2: <laughs> is there is there a specific reason why this has to be 1968? Like, couldn't they have just written it so it's, like, in the 70s, he's a little older, and that's when he, like, gets the job, and when he meets...
1: He hasn't seen Claire in 15 years. They could have
2: made it 10, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's something specific to this scene that has to be 1968. Like, his childhood kind of needs to be 1955. It's like this idea of the 50s and the TV shows of the 50s. And his family is not that. So he just watches TV all the time. But I'm not sure why this has to be 68. Other than maybe the copier thing, but...
1: I think they just, they did the math and they didn't realize that Bill Murray was not going to look like a (laughs) 17-year-old.
0: Or they didn't care.
1: Well, yeah. yes. <laughs> well,
0: I guess because that, well, that, that we can, you know, so we can wonder, is this, maybe this is on purpose. Maybe this is telling us something. Maybe this is, you know, is he actually traveling back in time and witnessing things as they happened in 1968 or whatever year it is? Or is this a, is it a reenactment, basically? Well, is this a staging of the past? And it may be accurate in many cases, but not, you know, not completely.
1: I had that note and the last one where I was like, did his mother really blow him a kiss or did the ghost, manip- it was trying to emotionally yeah. manipulate him. But he says it's like a rerun, which would imply that he can't have that yeah happen. Well, Sorry, I just feeling very smart that I had also yeah. of
3: that. Well,
0: and presumably at the time like he his eyes were on the TV, he didn't at the time he didn't see his mother blowing the kiss, so that's not something he's remembering, but if he's yeah, if he's watching it like a rerun, when she might have he may see something that he wouldn't have seen before or it could be or she might have done it every night hmm.
2: and so it's something he knows happens. Yeah.
0: yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that. But I'm and I'm thinking so maybe and maybe he sees you know, other than obviously when he's when he's four years old, he's not gonna look the way he does now. But otherwise Frank sees himself as he you know, as he sees himself in his head. And you know, unlike most people who see themselves as younger remember the way they were he always sees himself as this severely hairline receded 40 year old
2: now I want to see Bill Murray sitting on the
0: floor <laughs> next to like the <laughs> saying I wanted a choo choo <laughs> yeah
1: you know what's a real bummer
0: the turtlenecks that the- <laughs> everyone is wearing in 1968 <laughs>
1: that's better than mine.
0: Let's go with that. <laughs> no, what what was yours? I'm sorry. What were you what were going to say? The,
1: no, just the cats and chop suey line.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. There's oh, good yeah.
1: payoff for it later, but oof, that's not a good look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we we do see, a, you know, another sign of some goodness in Frank that he, you know, despite the very obvious very strong come-on from Tina, brushes her off. Says, "You know what? office romance it's not a good idea we should keep this professional as he leaves the party
1: and we get uh the modern day Bill Murray giving one of my favorite readings ever <laughs> this yeah. what an idiot I am I must have been out of my mind I, I can't do it I can't do it justice it's so good yeah
0: yeah what I, I like the uh the comeback from the ghost is no no not not that one
3: <gasps> that one
0: yeah that one this one, Cupid's arrow right between the eyes, as we, we flash to street level, where Frank Cross is getting hit on the head, first first in the front by a door, and then in the back by the pavement, <laughs> the door being opened by the wonderful Karen Allen, who plays Claire Phillips.
1: I second that emotion is playing. It's so <laughs>
0: lovely.
1: Which is wrong, because it didn't come out that year, but I don't care. Yeah. Because the idea is that you should fall in love with Karen Allen, which is what everyone should do.
0: Exactly. There's no complaints there. So she's, it looks like a record store or maybe just a store that likes to put records in, in the window up front.
1: That's what I kind of figure out. That window is all records. But she's carrying wrapping paper.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe they sell records and wrapping paper. And I, and, and I don't know if this, if we're supposed to read anything into this, but doing what we do and being who we are, we will. The way I have these clips cut up, if you stop at 12 minutes and 54 seconds, you'll see the address is 666 Mm -hmm. of that store that, that uh, Claire has just walked out of. She's
2: apparently called DiMaggio's on the door, but I couldn't find any real thing for it.
1: DiMaggio's established in 1922 doesn't give anything. Then I went down to Velvet Underground
0: yeah, rabbit
1: well,
0: hole. So, yeah, I have a feeling this part is is set like so. Obviously, as you know, some of this was filmed on location. the The IBC office building is is an actual building in Manhattan, and um, you know the home on Staten Island and stuff like that. But also, a lot of this I think was filmed in Toronto. Yeah. So yeah this 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 bit may not be New York at all. And then
2: they don't really give a wide shot of the street. So yeah, it's no. Maybe-
1: they they dressed a window with <laughs> they're
2: protecting right. their
0: visual
1: late sixties stuff.
0: Right. Uh, the one thing you see in in one of the shots behind Claire as it's kind of looking down the street, you can see uh, looks like like Christmas like a Christmas tree stand or they're selling Christmas trees behind her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If this is Christmas Eve at this point, so you you know you buy the tree, you decorate it, you put it up. Tomorrow's Christmas, and then. Like it just seems like a like a lot of work. If you don't have a tree at this point, just skip it. I do know a few people that put it up on Christmas that's, Eve. I mean, man, maybe that's maybe I'm being well, a screw. Well, ours today. went up yesterday.
1: The German tradition is the tree isn't revealed until Christmas Eve, and uh, if you're in an apartment in New York City, you've got nowhere to hide it. So maybe they have to wait until the last minute.
0: Okay, there you go. So I mean, this is this is little Germany of of Manhattan, this the little German <laughs> section of of New York City where they're. They wait to buy their Christmas trees till Christmas yeah. Eve. All right, there you go. <laughs> Asked and answered. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's why I invite you here, Tiffany. You, you, you got the uh, you bring the goods. It's
1: totally real. <laughs> yeah. So can can we uh, geek out about the Who and Warhol and Nico? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we see the the Velvet Underground album cover, the iconic banana cover. Yeah, I, I, and you know uh, Buffalo Springfield and.
1: Oh, see, I didn't
0: recognize the others. I'm really glad you did. Yeah. No, I, I learned my lesson. I tried that once in the <laughs> the the scene from Spinal Tap Minute. Once again, uh, the podcast I did with my wonderful co-host, Heidi Bennett, available at SpinalTapMinute.com. But the scene where they do the signing at the record store, no one shows up. I spent at, like literal – six to eight hours at least trying to go through all the different album covers that you see in the background during that scene, trying like image searches, reverse image searches. Like there's one album cover that's just red. And I know that the the, the (laughs) film happens in the early eighties. So I'm like 19 and just like doing a search for 1984 red album cover and then going (laughs) through all the results and stuff like that. And I think, I think I, I think I identified like four or five albums and they were like all the obvious ones where like the name of the band is in huge mm-hmm. print you know basically everyone i had within the first 5 minutes were the only ones i identified and like the next 6 hours were completely wasted yeah. so it I, i'm yeah. i am i i done i don't try i i didn't
1: luckily, I, luckily if you google <laughs> I don't do that warhol <laughs> banana album cover yeah. it doesn't take very yeah. long
0: i mean so yeah the warhol i can see just cuz yeah that's it's obvious you know the banana i recognize mm-hmm. The, the Buffalo Springfield says Buffalo Springfield. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going down that rabbit hole again. If it's not obvious within the first five seconds, um, then I'm not going to, I didn't do any research on album covers.
1: Yeah. Speaking of obvious, <laughs> why is Bumping Heads a stereotype of the meat cute? Be-
0: oh. well, I guess
2: well, I assume it comes from a specific film where it started. But I just had a stupid idea that maybe it's just because like falling in love like that is like being crazy and so something's it's like they hit in their head and it's just becomes a physical i don't know mm-hmm. it's dumb so We need
1: to be injured
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah love hurts yeah well i think i think too yeah. i think yeah <laughs> um yeah that's exactly the the song i was thinking of but i think two things one is a a visual, physical manifestation that you can put on film of what they've said, you know, being hit by Cupid's arrow or the Thunderbolt, you know, an actual strike that we can see.
1: The Godfather did that without yes. hitting their heads. Yeah.
0: Well, yes. <laughs> but that was- they could
2: have gotten their dogs to wrap their leashes around their feet. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it's, it's, <laughs> There's a few classics.
0: Uh, yeah. But I'm also thinking it, it's a sign that shows a certain synchronicity that the kind of, like, the two characters are... You know, in sync, they're on the same wavelength, they're moving in the same direction at the same time to kind of show compatibility, maybe.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I like that, yeah, that they both lean down to pick up the stuff at
2: the same time. Yeah.
1: I mean, I love Frank's laugh and reaction. It's really sweet, but I just, all of a sudden I was like, that's not a thing that happens. (laughs) And he very
2: clearly announces... I'm going to go down for that, <laughs> year, which is a good way to deal with it.
1: Oh, then we just, says like stay right here and winks, it's so it's very sweet. Is she wearing an army flak vest? Is that how 1968 it is in this scene?
0: Yeah, she's wearing like army surplus. Yeah, but 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 painted well, cause because she's going
1: to save the world.
0: Yeah, because she's going to save the world. She's got yeah the the silk scarf and the painted army. Although jacket. it has like quilted sleeves. Yeah, like,
1: the sleeves are di- I couldn't With
0: like flowers on them. That's why I was like Oh, that's not, I yeah, I thought it looked painted on, but it you know, looks like know. it's attached. It does yeah, I guess it does have a little texture.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, do we just talk about how much we love Karen Allen now?
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Karen Allen minute? Yeah, I mean the so the great Karen Allen who listeners, you know her from well all over the place. I mean, you so know, know her obscure. from from Starman. She was Katie Raiders, in Animal House. And uh yeah, a little a little film that you may have heard of called Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: But she's also I mean Animal House is great too. And the Sandlot. She's the mom and it's a smaller role, but it's still so so good. Hmm.
0: Actually I don't remember her from The Sandlot, but I think I've only seen that film once. Uh, um, watch that again. Um, she
1: um <laughs> she encourages him to go out and make friends. Get into trouble. Not too much, but some. <laughs>
0: oh, that sounds like good advice. Um, yeah, just, yeah, credited as mom in Sandlot. Yeah. You could have given her a name.
1: Yeah, I'm very biased towards her in real life because, to get a little personal for a minute. So I have brown hair and blue eyes. I have no idea who said this or even what they said, because for purposes of continuing throughout my life, I've blocked it out, but I got it into my head by age six that I was wrong because obviously if you have blue eyes, you're supposed to have blonde hair. And if you have brown hair, you're supposed to have dark eyes. I don't know why I didn't just look around and see that there are lots of people <laughs> with brown eyes or brown, brown hair, blue eyes, but I was just convinced that I was the only one and there was something horribly wrong with me. And what was that ever going to happen in my life? And then I found Kelly Martin and Karen Allen. And I was just like, look, here are girls that have the same <laughs> character combination. And sometimes people even fall in love with them. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and so I cannot distance myself at all from their characters.
0: Fair enough. There you go. Yeah. yeah. If you can draw parallels between yourself and Karen Allen... <laughs> going to be
3: okay. (laughs) But I mean,
1: Claire is a great character here too, because she, she bumps into this guy. She likes him. She's into it. But you really believe that she had her own life before this happened, before she came out of the store and she was just going to go on with it. She has no interest in going to the party. She's just like, no, it's fine.
0: Yeah. She's got her own life.
1: And then when he calls her back, she's like, yeah, but he is kind of cute. I'll go with it.
0: Yeah she has her own story going on. And then we get the call back. We're going to go for some Chinese food. <laughs>
1: um, I feel like I'm really talking over you, Robert. I'm sorry. I just, I... <sighs> it, because a lot of times, the female romantic lead doesn't feel like she had her own life before she entered the story. Right. And you get the feeling that this person, Claire Phillips, who is walking down the sidewalk, if he hadn't called out, young lady she would have just kept walking and been fine. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a good point. There's 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 a couple things and obviously the the movie centers around Frank Cross, so we don't get as much Claire Phillips as we might like. But yeah, so she has one of the things that really bothers me in in movies and I guess this is more specific to romantic comedies is at some point the guy has to apologize, that they get in a fight and they break up and then they apologize and they get back together, happy ending. And too many times I'm just like, why is he apologizing? Like, what did he do wrong? Like, (laughs) I'm like totally sympathetic, and maybe it's because I am a guy, (laughs) but I'm like totally sympathetic to the guy. I'm like, no, you were right. She was wrong, or at least – or maybe you're both wrong. Like, you should not be (laughs) apologizing. Where in this movie, it's pretty clear – in the end when he's apologetic and he's trying to get her back it's like no he's right you know that yes he drove her away he was the one who was in the wrong we don't see we don't see anything that she's done that's wrong so when he's apologizing that it's right and i believe it and also it's you know she see, she's living her life she's got stuff to do she even says um then this is kind of jumping ahead a bit when she, or no this is actually going Well, head in time, but back in the movie, time travel, uh, (laughs) when she gives him her card and says, like, I'm never, you know, because originally he had called her at home or spiritual force had dialed his phone and called her and he leaves her a message and says, I'm never at home if you need to reach me. And she gives him the card for the shelter where she works, you know, reach me here. Because, yeah, she's not just sitting at home waiting for uh, you know, a, a, a knight in shining armor or a prince to come or for Frank to come back. She's, yeah, she's living her life. She's doing her thing. And if you want to find her, you know, you go where she is.
1: So, and she thinks yeah. she's cute. She's into it. But yeah, at the end of the day. If it
0: doesn't happen, she's fine. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good well, it's not her. structured like a romantic comedy. And so it doesn't have, she doesn't have to be that girl pining for a guy. Right,
0: so yeah, so they can have they can have a romantic interest, but they don't need to go to any of those cliches or tropes of the romantic comedy,
2: well, and she's played by Karen Allen, who you get the sense just looking at her that she's got more depth, like she barely does anything in her first scene, and you already get an idea she's a real person when she
0: shows up on the set, right and says, Hi. And all she does is assault the guy and then walk away. <laughs> I mean, and maybe I'm being, I maybe mean, it's a bit reductive to <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she shrugs first. Um, what's the rum pum pum for? Like, am I missing a reference again? <laughs> I, Frank and the ghost. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll defer to Wait. you. Are, I think this is just, he, um, it's supposed to be, he tells a joke and it's like the, the, uh, the symbol crash or the but um bump so yeah, but, back
2: in the old days, Tierney, when comedians would get up on stage, rim shot. That's what's, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it's not a rim shot. <laughs> Sorry, continue the lesson. No,
2: I I think that's what they're going for. It's like the it's the rim shot, but yeah, I think he puts an extra beat on it. Yeah,
0: yeah, because I guess he can't he can't just say rim shot, or he can't go. But I'm bump.
1: You I, say but a yeah, yeah, I guess he could have gone but I'm bump. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's what they're going for, kind of thing. I mean, I think the, yeah, I don't know. In context, I I think that has to
2: be that. It's just they're doing it slightly wrong.
3: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess I think the point for the viewer is just to emphasize this is a rerun that they've seen before. Or a memory that Frank has gone over in his head because at the same time the 1968 frank is doing it the current day frank and and the ghost are are right along with it yeah. so like they've all they're all fami- they're all very familiar with this scene to the point that they can you know recite the dialogue as it's happening
1: i love that yeah
0: <laughs> but uh yeah i guess i don't know maybe <laughs> Maybe that's maybe like it's it's one of those like ticks of Bill Murray. He's got like he can't do a rim shot, so he's got go to go <laughs> bum, 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 bump. Yeah. All right. So
2: so
1: then Claire and Frank move way too fast, right? Are we all in agreement on this?
0: Um, isn't it a year later? Yeah. So I mean, we don't know how long they've been living together. I mean, it's hey, it's the '60s, free love. They're young. They're in the city. So they're living together, you know, and it, it's. And, I mean, it is a year later. It being the
2: sixties, I'm wondering: do we know for sure they live just the two of them? Not like a whole bunch of hippie friends,
0: right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they could be split. Yeah, splitting the 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 rent. Who knows how many ways? Um, Each of those gifts is for a different person because they're all so right. poor. Yeah. So
1: I do have questions about that apartment, but <laughs>
0: it's a it's a year later, and we see that. The you know the the spark of this first meeting has ignited that they are together and they are um, they are trading gifts. Claire gives Frank a book of the Kama Sutra, mm-hmm. which would give you an indication of where their relationship is, and he gives her a set of steak knives, of uh, Ginsu knives. Yeah. Now I had I you know this kind of I don't have a lot of support for this. <laughs> From the film itself, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and see if you guys kinda got that feeling as well. But do you get the feeling like that this knife, this was his Christmas bonus from Hayward at the T V station? Oh, it could have been. These yeah. knives and he's just regifting them. Yeah, his father brings veal from work, he brings knives from work.
2: Yeah. It could mm-hmm. be. Either way, it's a horrible I don't gift. Know. Unless she's really I into love- cooking.
1: What I love is that I and I think he bought them because present day Frank still remembers everything about these knives true when she goes oh knives lots of knives and it shows them hugging it cuts back to him and the ghost watching and he starts telling about them like he remembers this isn't something that he just was like oh god I gotta get something (laughs) this looks good
2: yeah and he still thinks it's a good gift
1: yeah he he's never liked a girl enough to give her sharp
2: knives yeah it's a horrible gift but that is a great line
1: it's such a great line, and he's apparently a trendsetter because Ginsu knives didn't become big until like the late seventies.
0: Well, so I was gonna say, just to kind of counter your point, is well, I, th- I think this is a, a an error. I don't, I don't know that Ginsu was available in 1969, and you know if it was a thing yet. It's,
1: it's really early,
0: but so that yeah. they would become known for their 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 advertising their television commercials, so he may just being someone who has immersed you know kind of replaced his life with television, maybe he remembers so much about the knives just because he saw the commercials so much, and he's you know replaced t- his own life by by what he's seen on television, so he's he's just remembering the commercials,
2: yeah, apparently they weren't available till the seventies yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. We gotta go we gotta go back a little. I'm sorry. I have to do it to us. <laughs> Is it too, right. there's too many candles? Ma- yes! <laughs> <laughs> there are so many candles in this apartment. Um I I do love that he makes the ghost turn around. The line, Look, there's a gorilla climbing up that big building. <laughs> <laughs> um which he, he still feels a little protective mm-hmm. towards her. Yeah. She's got no bubbles in that tub, so you know, he. Gotta get her turn around. Um, I would thought this was gonna be a whole conversation, but as the only Christmas celebrator here, uh, her family tradition was one on Christmas Eve, the rest till Christmas morning.
0: Yeah did did your family do that, Tierney?
1: We opened almost everything Christmas Eve because <laughs> that is when my mom's family got together, which apparently is a very German thing. Mm-hmm. But we had a massive family party. Everyone on my mom's side would get together. And that's when we would exchange our presents between each other, Hmm. which meant by the time Christmas morning came, the only things left were Santa presents, which don't get me wrong. That was very exciting. Uh, Santa presents and whatever my dad's parents had mailed (laughs) presents between each other. But that was like my mom would pick out the sweaters, order them, wrap them and then label them from dad to her (laughs) Um, so I never got, you know, I grew up hearing all this stuff like, oh yeah, Christmas Eve. I just want to get to sleep. And I was like, Christmas Eve is the jam. Um, my cousins who are Catholic would go to mass, which was over by 6 PM. And then they would come and we would have dinner, open presents, attempt to sleep, wake (laughs) up. And then I remember joking. I was like, Christmas is over by noon on the 25th.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's now you, that's,
1: that's all I needed.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned something else in there that I want to ask about the the Santa present. So you had presents that you knew were from family and friends, but there was still there was still the Santa Claus myth. There were separate presents that were from Santa Claus. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Because I had. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say because my and 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 kids, Caitlin. Jordan, Daniel, if you're listening, cover your ears.
1: I was just going to say, you called it them. We're we're, uh, we're just kidding. We're going to talk about really grown up boring stuff now. Yeah. So about that life insurance, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I refused to stop believing in Santa. <laughs> um, to the point where my mother started launching a campaign to convince me. <laughs> so first she started, she used the same, she stopped getting special wrapping paper. So it was all the same wrapping paper, which to me was just like, this is so cool. Santa uses the same wrapping paper as us.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, so got- <laughs> we still have separate paper. So we, I, my wife and I, we don't have children, but for uh, my nieces and nephew, for her sister's kids – We have special paper and it's coordinated because we have gifts that we wrap and we bring down. We spend, uh, we spend Christmas with my in-laws because most of my family doesn't celebrate Christmas. But, uh, so, you know, we've got it coordinated. So my sister-in-law can wrap presents and then we've got a roll of the same paper and it's set aside. And actually I have to remember to ask my wife to make sure I remember which paper it is, but it's like, I'm not allowed to wrap anything. In, or if i if i use that paper i have to label it from santa because that's the mm-hmm. santa paper and like so that was the next
1: thing santa yeah. also apparently went to secretarial school and had the same <laughs> handwriting as my mom did not did not fool me for a minute <laughs> The next year, she left all the price tags on things, <laughs> which just convinced me that Santa shopped at Kaldor. There you
0: go. The, the, you know, the elves get busy and the, you know, stuff on I spent
1: the entire next year stalking Kaldor looking for Santa. <laughs> yeah,
0: that just makes Santa more real.
3: Yeah.
1: I, I, she kept doing these things and she probably was like, Tierney, you know, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, my sister walked into the kitchen where my mom was having a snack at age four and said, the Easter bunny doesn't make any sense, mom. <laughs> and she said, all right, yeah. And she explains the whole thing. My sister goes back to playing and an hour later walks up and goes, so Santa's not real either, right?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My sister and I have nothing in common. I don't understand how we're
0: related. <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing there's a difference here. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, do you still believe in the Easter bunny?
1: although i will say i then mentioned the fact that santa wasn't real years later when all of us were at least 15 years old and my cousin screamed and covered her little sister's ears her little sister being a sophomore in high school yeah so i wasn't the worst offender just why wouldn't you ride that gravy train
2: my my oldest daughter uh my wife had her before we were together so she was it's almost seven or seven ish when we got together and that first christmas it didn't occur to me that she might still believe in santa claus oh Oh, no! and so in just in passing i said something about santa claus not existing and she got upset oh it hadn't occurred to me because i never had that part in my life where i believed in santa claus and i'm like oh oops (laughs) oops (laughs)
1: Way to go. Yeah, the melting of family traditions. (laughs) And I think this scene shows it well. Does not always go smoothly.
0: (laughs) So she yeah, Um, the different, you know, kinda different approaches to the holidays, different philosophies on gift giving. Some people are more practical than than others.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, so two things. First of all, The adorableness of how excited she is while she's unwrapping his gift, mm-hmm. I very much relate it to. It also shows, don't poke ribbon around your gifts like that. It's impossible. How are you supposed to get that off? Um yeah. <laughs> You have to become an animal. And also, so she sa- she gives him the Kama Sutra. She says, read the inscription, which is in Sanskrit. <laughs> is this Marion?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Way to ruin it. I'm just...
1: What do you mean?
0: <laughs> I'm just... I'm just going over the... year. This could be Marion Jr. If he's playing a 19-year-old in this scene, she can be playing
2: Marion.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm kidding.
0: It, I mean, well,
2: if she's...
1: Um.
0: Well, so in what? In 30... 37, we were thinking she she'd was... She'd be
1: late. almost 60 in 69, yeah <laughs> i think she's 59 um no i just i just there's not been nothing so far that makes me think this person knows sanskrit
2: <laughs> it's the 60s people got into that sort of thing she was shopping at a hip, a hippie record store
1: apparently they also have swings between their kitchen and living <laughs> room
2: it was the 60s it was, a, it was a yeah. i guess that's Did that anyone else? my question from before why it's the 60s
1: So they can be hippies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Explain why she is who she is.
1: Yeah. Uh, So I looked around their apartment quite a bit. I'm assuming they don't have a cat because the curtain pulls they have are just, well, they're not catnip to cat. That is a thing. But (laughs) every cat I've known has immediately been like, I must pull on that and destroy it.
0: Well, and Um, and just the the candles...
1: They have way too many candles. To
0: have a cat, because those things would be knocking going over yeah. and the place goes up in flames. Yeah. That's true.
1: And and they have a swing hanging between their kitchen and the living room. Yeah,
0: as one does. That's probably on a page <laughs> of that book she just gave him.
1: Oh god. Alright. The, the video's not up. We don't have to look each other in the eyes. Everyone does the did that, did that, buddy of mine did that <laughs> when confronted <laughs> with things like this, right? <laughs>
0: No, no, just, just you Tierney.
1: I don't know if I, I don't know if I know
2: Fire. anyone I do with, do that with out loud.
0: Well, and considering like, so they're in, they're in a relationship with each other. So he's say, and he's 18 here. So yeah. he's saying, you know, the fact that he needs to say it, like, if they had done it together, she would know what mm-hmm. positions he's done and what he hasn't done. Yeah.
1: She calls him out on yeah, it.
0: Yeah, that, that she feels, he feels the need to tell her, like, like who has he done these things with? Tina.
1: He's lying!
0: Men never lie about sex. <laughs> so I couldn't keep a straight face on that, so... <laughs> Yeah, he, he, yeah. I was going
1: to say, I thought your pants were Richard Pryor there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh,
0: callback zing. All right. Yeah. Um, yes, he's, he's uh, I don't know, artistic license, dramatic license, perhaps. But <laughs> <laughs> and again, like with the turtleneck that he's wearing.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: But I guess I, I wonder if that's just to kind of emphasize the difference of the different worlds, even while they're cohabitating. They're really inhabiting different worlds. She's in sort of a hippie-ish. Yeah, very loose. Loose place. Tight. And he's in his. She's
1: so cute. She's like curled up on the sofa yeah. on him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if this is like a, a, a nightgown or a sleeping gown. It's, I, like you just,
1: it's a nightgown. Yeah.
0: In a nightgown. And he's in trousers with Close. a belt and a, a turtleneck. He's like wearing a, me- a literal and metaphorical chain around his neck, a collar, to show how tidy is to you know, his his office and his professional life, the business world. She's going to lose him.
1: Oh. But they have one last good moment together. They do. And she's right there playing along with his bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barking like a dog. <laughs> yeah,
2: she's into it.
1: Yeah,
0: and then, and and then speaking of dogs, so we we fast forward now two years to 1971 on the set. There's a whole dog
2: theme here. <laughs> when they went to 55, there was a dog barking.
0: Yes. Then she barks, and then he's a dog. And then he is a dog. He's playing a dog.
2: Oh. Yeah. I gotta look again and see if there's similar themes to the other ghosts.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Um. I love his visceral reaction to Frisbee. I've definitely had jobs that would make my face do that (laughs) if I was suddenly transported back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so he seems confused. And and, and going back to the earlier scenes with Claire, where he is basically reciting dialogue along with a rerun. That's something he's thought of often, um, or at least remembers fondly, where this is like, This must be, yeah, something he's blocked out. He seems like, is this, (laughs) maybe he was hoping this was another one of the television shows that he only watched (laughs) that he didn't actually do. But, um, nope, as we find out, Frank is Frisbee the dog. Yeah. And uh, so if we're to think that this is Christmas Eve again, following on. Where
1: Where are these people? these children's parents. Yeah, Sorry.
0: Again, again with the idea and this this will come back later in the movie, who does a, who does live television on Christmas Eve? Well,
2: it does is this live? I mean maybe it's just earlier in the day.
1: Even if it's taped, why is there a taping? It could be
0: earlier in the day. Yeah, but that was my impression, but yeah, even
1: if they're taping, No, but it's almost dinner. She shows up ready for dinner.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, she
2: shows up cuz they have to go to that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah who has a show on um, Christmas
1: Eve? Yeah. Uh, in Within the world of the show, on the tree in the background, there is a heart with the names Dick and Lauren written in it. Yes. Do you have any theories on who they are?
0: Is it the... Do you know this, Robert? No, I do not. Is it the producer? Or no, maybe it's Richard Donner. Oh, it could be.
1: I mean, that would make sense that this wife is Lauren. He's
2: married to Lauren.
0: Yeah.
1: <gasps> oh, it's gotta be...
0: Yeah, so this is a nod to uh, director Richard Donner and his wife, Lauren. <laughs> nice. So a nice little Easter egg there. That. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, uh... I don't know if that was... I'm assuming that was not his idea, that someone worked that into the set just to be nice. And that's, yeah. no.
1: that's sweet. It's a sweet touch.
0: It is a sweet touch. Um, yeah, Dick and Lauren. Yeah, so it's a sweet touch to see that just before... We kind of, I don't know if this, it seems like this is not the beginning of the end for Claire and Frank. I get the feeling like the end has been coming. This is like the middle of the end. I think for her, it's
1: the end of the
0: end until 88.
2: But yeah, he doesn't know.
1: Yeah, he doesn't realize it. First, we get um, Estelle wearing the most 70s outfit. I'm so sorry for her, her red tights to match her red turtleneck Yeah, get more turtlenecks. Well,
0: and then yeah end, he's wearing like a, a suit jacket and trousers, but with with a turtleneck. Like what what's with the people? Because I, I and I'm one of those people that I don't want anything restrictive around my neck. Mm-hmm. My mother used to buy me turtlenecks and I would just pull on the necks to try to stretch them out. Um, yeah. When I could not avoid wearing them at all, but yes. Well, and it looks like she she could almost be wearing, like just a red bodysuit from foot to neck with a skirt over it. With, yeah. with a skirt
2: God, over, she it.
1: might be. I hate the seventies so much.
2: It <laughs> does match really well.
1: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> but I will give yeah. Preston a little credit here. He's cheating on his wife. And about to have an affair with someone who works for him. But he's not encouraging Frank to do the same. He invites Claire along. Like he respects their relationship.
0: <laughs> okay okay, yeah, sure. I guess that's some degree of, of credit. <laughs> yeah. Something. Okay, yeah. He's not tell-yeah, he's not saying, hey Frank, I'm going to dinner with my secretary. You go to dinner with your Secretary, or I don't know, I guess probably frisbee yeah. the dog doesn't our dinner
1: set. will be at the Playboy <laughs> Club <laughs>
0: yes, yes, but he's also not he doesn't feel the need to hide it. He's not like, well, you can come to dinner, but don't bring your woman because your woman may talk to my woman about how you went to dinner with someone other than my wife uh, yeah. i it it was a different I can't relate I don't know what was <laughs> going on in these these times, but yeah um. And he's witty about it. He's like, oh, you know, so dinner will be me, my wife, and then um, oh no, he, he, he. <laughs> was it palm your wife's in Palm's ring. Well then I guess it's just you and me. What do you know? <laughs> like he didn't know that. Yeah. Oh Preston. <laughs> it was a different time. Um yes. yeah, I don't know. I'm kind I'm kind of sympathetic to to Frank. Oh, no. I mean, kind of, you know, the, 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 the big boss invites you out to dinner. What is he? He's, he's, he's 21. You know, he's a youngster. He's, he's a young pup. He's just starting out trying to make his way in the world. This could be his big shot. He wants to get out of this, this sweaty dog costume and get a real job.
1: All right. I have a theory about this, mm-hmm. or I, I have half a theory about this. Once the fight begins and we'll, we'll get there. Um, He says, I've been fighting for the integrity of the show. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, I'm sorry, I realized it meant that much to you. And the way she says it, this is not the first time they've had a fight. I think you're absolutely right. I think the end, because you don't propose separation out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But if he had accepted her apology in good faith and not been a jerk, would they have still been together? Like, it's not the fact that he wanted... To go to dinner with his boss and she wanted to honor their thing with their friends. Like, could he have convinced her like, all right, I'll call Dave and Cave, and we'll make this happen and I'll be annoyed about it. But it'll just be a blip flight in the re- fight in the relationship, not the end of it. This
2: night might not be the end of it, but I think they just have the same fight again because he's going to pick Frisbee the dog and his job.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I th- I think he could have it's one of those things like yeah, he could have handled it differently, but then he'd be a different person and the rest of his life would be different that even if he well, didn't
1: Frank doesn't realize he's being broken up with. No. Right.
0: <laughs> he thinks she's just going to go to dinner with the
2: friends without him and th- he'll see her later. He gets yeah. home, her stuff's not going to be there. Or she'll pick it up in the morning maybe. It's Christmas Eve.
0: Well, and that's and, and that's another another difference from the source material that I like. I feel like that Scrooge in the original is making a conscious decision. It's it's more conscious of, you know, I'm I'm choosing business, I'm choosing my career. I don't have time, and I don't know how many people do that or how realistic that is. Obviously, there are many people that make that decision, but I don't know how many. You know, and and we see Frank is doing that here. Yeah, yeah. but I don't know if they consciously put it in those terms. They, I think it's more they just think, oh. The family life the romantic life will be there when I'm done with the career thing when I have time for it and they don't realize well one n- and not necessarily people aren't necessarily waiting around and you know there's there's a time limit but if you never get around to it if it's always the work and always the career then then it's 15 20 years down the road when you go back to it and by then it's gone but I don't feel like you know people kind of You don't necessarily think of it in those terms at the time, the way Scrooge does. It's more like Frank does, where it's just a series of individual decisions. He doesn't say, I'm not going to go out to dinner with my wife and her friends or my girlfriend and her friends. I'm not... Or their, my fiance and her friends. Yeah. I'm going to choose work. It's well tonight. I have this work thing that I think is going to be useful for my career. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then to, oh. tomorrow night is another singular decision. Oh, well, tomorrow night I'm working late because we're working on scripts. And then the night after that, it's the the costume needs to be cleaned out or aired out or something. You know, it's a series of individual decisions that over the years add up to that. Yeah, decision. he's inside those decisions.
1: Yes. It kills me when you see the present-day Murray stand up and he's got his hand on the back of his head because he knows what's about to happen because he has finally seen the cumulative effect of it, of what you're describing.
3: Yes. Yeah, he knows what he's just, watching here.
1: God, it's so heartbreaking. She even stutters at one point. Ugh. Because she wants him to argue it so bad. Like, she doesn't want him to let her go to dinner.
0: <laughs> uh, oh. And then he waves goodbye with the sad dog head, the oh my God. droopy eyes, and the sorry ass whiskers. <laughs> the lamest looking whiskers. I mean, if you're fighting for the integrity of the show, you gotta work on that costume, buddy.
3: Well that that's the job. Okay.
0: But then with his yeah, his his four fingered paw he waves as she walks out of his life. Not forever, yes. but close to it. So it's only going to, yeah, because he says it's been 15 years. So it's only it's two years from now when they uh, they separate for good. And then Frank is, uh, is married to his career at that point. And then, uh, well, suddenly our ghost of Christmas past, who has been sitting next to Frank in the audience of uh, the Frisbee the I dog show, it. is now is now in the television. He's on the monitor and the cab is driving away. And suddenly Frank is back in the present on the set of Scrooged. And so ends our section of the movie with our ghost of Christmas past. I have a note on the actor before we go. Oh, yes. We love notes. Uh,
2: David Johansson, the ghost. Mm-hmm. We were talking about New York Dolls a while ago, and we already had you know Richard Pryor running on fire. Watching Scrooged on TV, Arthur Killer Kane, who was in New York Dolls was so like jealous and angry seeing David Johansson do this part. He jumped out of his third story apartment window, but he landed or his fall was broken by either an awning or a planter box, depending on the source. I saw two different news things about it and he survived. And in the hospital, he saw an ad for the book of Mormon and he ended up being baptized as a Mormon the next year. So happy ending to his little happy story, ending. but he almost killed himself while watching Scrooge.
1: You can't buy publicity like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I it, I I had read that. Yeah, it was a a, a troubled young man, just kind of yeah, couldn't.
1: I mean, that's actually a very sad story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. But it,
0: you know, it it just goes to show, you know, there, there's things, things that you can be in a funk, you can be in a bad way, you can kind of be where where Frank is at the beginning of this movie, or other bad places, and the things around you can be the things. That uh that grab your attention and, and wake you up and get you uh, get you on the right path.
2: you just hope they are good moments like Frank sees.
0: Yeah, or yeah. just hope there's something there to break your fall. Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh. well, I gotta say, as heartbreaking as Claire's last, I'll tell them that you got hung up line is, I'm bringing it back to Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> the best reaction to the end of Scrooge and the Christmas Past is Daisy who slams the door so that all his coins fall. She's I think that's the only time I've seen the uh the gal get some small token of revenge. Cuz we see in the live action here on the show she's just bawling away.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. So point to Mickey on that. <laughs> um, or well, to, to Daisy. Daisy, yeah, Daisy to, to Daisy, but within you know the yeah. the the Disney adaptation. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, thinking of all the
1: because usually it's just sad. Yeah, like we ended such a sad note here.
0: Yeah, so on that on that sad note, any anything else? Um, you know, not just about this section of the movie about Scrooge in, in general or Christmas
1: Carol. Listeners, you are in for a treat the
0: next
3: ghost
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i i think they know but in case if any of you don't know don't look (laughs) ahead we want you to be surprised there's a there's another spirit coming and 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 it's a good one
2: and she's fun um
0: so so tierney if you know folks want to hear more from you where where can they find you in the in the podcast world
1: I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this episode is completely sick of the sound of my voice. Right now. I, I doubt that. I
0: doubt that. <laughs>
1: um, I've done uh, "Return to Oz" minute and the Never Ending Minute, and I apparently cannot do movies by minute podcasts one at a time. So I'm going to be doing two at some point in 2019. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to overlap, though. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at One Steel Sister, O N E S T E L E S I S T E R, and that has links to all my shows. All
3: right, yeah. And I, there's a
1: website, oh. mashminute.com, that I built all by my little. No, nah, I used a template.
0: <laughs> but I filled but in
1: the template, so I'm very proud of it. <laughs>
0: exactly. You filled in the template all by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I wanna speaking of of podcasts and, and hearing Tierney's voice, I wanna thank Tierney for introducing me to the wonder that is Return to Oz. I had not heard of this movie before her podcast. And oh. now I am absolutely in love with it. Um I was I was <laughs> fortunate enough to be a guest um for five of, of I think the best minutes of of that film. So yeah. Um Return to Oz and all the other stuff. And, and so folks should check that out. And then uh Mr. Black, you've got some stuff going on as well. do not you tell the folks about that?
2: Oh, Whoa. Uh, well, if you want to, if you don't need to use your ears, you have thirteen hundred and sixty-five entries of the Groundhog Day project still at GroundhogDayProject.com, uh, which started with a year of watching Groundhog Day and then lots of other movies every day, <laughs> and now I have Michael Myers minute, which I'm about an hour into the first, the original Halloween. And Dave Made a Minute where uh, Sean and Tierney are both in there uh, doing minutes of Dave Made a Maze that were randomly assigned to podcasters who didn't even know what movie they were getting into when they started. And coming up sometime when those end in February, uh, next up should be The Room Minute, looking at Tommy Wiseau's, you know, classic. <laughs>
0: classic in quotes. Yeah that will be amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Well, first of all, the 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 Dave made a amaze is all all credit and amazement to um, one getting people to do a movie that they haven't seen and not tell them the name of the movie so they can't see it. <laughs> they they just have to watch their their minutes. It's it's so well produced and the result is so fascinating. It's a series of single minutes of a movie each one w- with different hosts and uh but they all the the collage of when it comes together is it it makes a wonderful podcast. So that's that's a lot of fun. I'm thank you for allowing me to to participate and I encourage thank people to, for doing to check it. that out. And uh and thank you, Tony. The room I've heard so much about that film. I haven't seen it. <gasps> Well, I this this may be the chance. Sean, I know to. what
1: our next get together is. <laughs> I'll, I'll have <laughs> sorry, Dick Dale. <laughs>
0: or should I have you as a guest before you see it? Yeah, oh. I'll have to watch it for the podcast, <laughs> so I'll check that out. And and listeners, so thank you for listening. You can uh, uh, you can join the conversation to talk about uh, this movie and, and all your other favorite Christmas classics at our Facebook group, which is the uh, the Jelly of the Month Club. The, the holdover name from when we covered uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation last year. But we love um, all kinds of movies, Christmas and other holiday classics are all welcome. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at NLC Vacation Days and on the web at GroundhogMinute.com. And once again, I have to apologize to you listeners and to Pete Mummert. Uh, we did not get around to playing that holiday message, but but fear not, brave listeners. I'm sure we will get to it next time. So come on back for the next spirit of Scrooged by the Ghost.